Hello, my name is John O'Connell, and welcome to AMX Fika Leadership Podcast. So over these podcasts, I'll be speaking to some inspirational and innovative data and analytic contributors from across industry and the health and care sectors. I'll be asking each of them to share with us some of the exciting work they have underway, which is helping to shape the health and care analytics space, as well as asking some of them their motivational insights into their career paths to date. So why FICA? FICA is a social phenomenon in Sweden, I thought I'd borrow. It's a legitimate reason to set aside some really quality time to catch up with friends, family and colleagues over a coffee and a cake. So joining myself and Toby today is Dr. Mark Bailey. Mark originally worked in chemistry and in the pharmaceutical industry and then came into medicine. And Mark now works as a specialty doctor in respiratory medicine at Gloucestershire Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. And something of interest to our listener, Mark is that unique, uh, rare blend of a clinician with coding skills. Mark works 50% in clinical and 50% in clinical informatics. Mark is currently leading digital change with his knowledge of clinical informatics, helping sleep apnea patients breathe soundly again at night. And he's also leading digital transformation within the respiratory department, including data management and task automation, and is currently researching machine learning solutions with natural language processing. Mark is also uh, the, helping lead quality improvement uh, in the sleep service, uh, which we'll hear more about from Mark later, which is aiming to reduce referral to treatment breach times. So warm welcome, Mark. We are absolutely delighted to have you join our AMX Speaker podcast. Thank you very much. And I Thank understand you. you're a, a true or a 50% fin. So <laughs> our important question of FICA is coffee and a cake with friends and you're amongst friends. Yeah. Speaking from a Finn, um, uh, how, how would FICA work for you? Because you've probably, I think, lived the true FICA experience, haven't you? Yes. Um, thank you very much, John, and Toby. Thank you very much for having me here. Um, yeah, I have lived the, the FICA experience. Um, I've also got cousins in Sweden, so I've actually gone to Stockholm and I've had the FICA experience there a few times. And if I was going to talk about what I'll be having in my FICA experience, it would be a Princess Torta, which is it's basically a sponge cake with marzipan and cream inside, very bad for your arteries, but very, very tasty in the coffee. Um, uh, but I've actually done most of my FICA experience in Finland, um, and they've got a different terminology for that. It's a cafetella, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I, I'm half Finnish, but my pronunciation of the Finnish language is not always perfect. Um, and but I always I thought it had a different name. So my parents would always say, oh, should we go and have some kaffee yamunki, which translates coffee and donut. So I've always known Fika, or oh, that experience with Fika, as a coffee and donut moment. So if I was in Finland right now, and I would have been this week, actually, if it yep. wasn't for the pandemic and lockdown, which I fully understand we have to do, I would be having kaffee yamunki, so coffee and donut. Right now, I have a ginger tea and an oak lip. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, very healthy. But yeah, it, it, you know, thanks for sharing that with us. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, coffee and a donut would be fantastic. I think we all we'd all vote for that. <laughs> Great. So, Mark, you've uh, when we spoke last, you know, you mentioned some of the exciting work you're doing with your, your team there, and you've got a very busy career. You know, for our listeners, you know, we, we mentioned as well, you know, career paths are always very different for different people. Would you be able to sort of walk through um, your career path to date and, you know, uh, what's led you to where you are and that sort of portfolio that you've got around sort of clinician, but also clinical informatics would be really interesting to hear about. 
Yeah, it's it's a little bit complicated, but then actually I've listened to your other podcast and everyone seems to have quite unique and interesting career paths, so maybe it's not that complicated. But I was quite interested in Sarah Colkin's um, career path. She was a chemist. She did yep. PhD in chemistry, which I have. And to reassure her, actually, I was quite interested in hearing mm-hmm. her podcast that she said only one in 10 to 15 of her react- chemical reactions worked. I had the same result. Whether that means when you get that ratio, you have to leave, I don't know. But just to reassure <laughs> her, I had the same sort of number of um, positive outcomes for each reaction. So my first career was in chemistry. I did a bachelor's in chemistry. Uh, my first year, though, was chemistry with computer sciences, interestingly. But I for one or two reasons, dropped the computer science side of things and was a bit more interested in pharmaceutical stuff and um, sort of medical stuff at the time. And then I did a PhD in medicinal chemistry, working on new things for um, inflammatory bowel diseases, new drugs and testing them and so on. Worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a couple of years, decided I liked the medical side more than the drug side of things. And so I did a graduate course in um, medicine in Cambridge, a four-year course. And I've been the practicing doctor since uh, 2013 and I did my foundation years so I was a pediatrician for a while had a number but decided that wasn't for me locum for a couple of years after that then serendipitously found by the respiratory registrar on call that night um, when I was working on nights as well um, and she thought I was doing very well with my job and said do you want a locum job with us so I had a locum job and then they gave me a speciality doctor position and I've been doing that for almost five years now so I kind of fell into this position mm-hmm. now in terms that's the, the clinical side so in terms of the uh, clinical informatics side um, I have to kind of go back a bit. I've always had an interest in IT and digital solutions. Um, and kind of as a hobby, I've been building home automation and backup software and stuff like that. And that kind of um, filtered into my clinical work. And I had to do quite a lot of sleep study reports. Um, and I've, I've, I've recognized it was very um, repetitive work, same kind of letters, just was democratic, so one or two numbers changed. I thought this could be done by a computer, couldn't it? So I built a Word document that would do that. You just put in a few details and it would automate the letter, and then Excel. And then my bosses said, actually, build a Microsoft Access database to do this. So now it took me a year. But now we have an Access database that helps run the whole sleep service. Everything's in there apart from follow-up paperwork. So the whole referral to treatments, clinics, and outcomes, and MD, so MDT, so multidisciplinary team meetings, is all in there. Um, and that database we've called Spiritum, which is Latin for breathe. We thought it was quite appropriate for a respiratory department. Uh, a spin-off from that, because we did some robotic process automation in that data, spin-off for that was a program called Quick Spirit, so quick breathing. Um, and that's controls nine clinical systems to get results quicker for the um, clinician, 30% quicker when we did a small quality improvement project. And I published that as well. Uh, what well, is e-poster with the Faculty of Clinical Informatics and done a webinar as well on that. Um, so, and that's two of the big things I've done. The next big project now is lung cancer work. So that's digitizing and automating our lung cancer work, which we want to make modular and open source. So other lung, uh, other cancer sites and other trusts even could benefit and collaborate on our work. And my philosophy on this is build one, share many. 
I completely concur with that. Yeah, that Bill wants to share many and open source, absolutely fantastic. Mark, thanks for sh sharing your journey. What, what an amazing journey, isn't it? And uh, been open to uh, all avenues, but also it comes across the, the passion that you have, obviously, for improvement and the inquisitive why things the yeah. way they are can they be different this is fantastic and and just going on to that following on for that theme you mentioned obviously uh, you know a collision of codes is, is a rarity but also you know how we how, from a collision perspective how, how did you become that collision of codes and you know what advice would you, i think give to our listeners who probably are looking for you know a portfolio career and what advice would you give because there's obviously pros and cons to that but it's a, how, do you, how do you manage that balance that that's a difficult um question to answer. I was lucky. I fell into the position I'm in, uh, in the term, in the sense that the people I work with noticed what I could do and said, here's some, you know, in your free time, but if you haven't got other clinic like clinical um, things going on, actually, could you build these things? And they recognized I could, and they said, oh, build some more and build some more. Now, I, I think we're in a difficult time for clinicians who code as myself in terms of trying to do um, a training program. So I'm, I haven't got a training number. I'm a, I'm a, a substantive um, specialty doctor at Colossi Royal. But for example, people that aren't registrars on training numbers, trying to do anything else outside of their specialty can be difficult. But there are portfolio careers available in different parts of the country, not locally in Gloucestershire anyway. Um, but uh, ha having someone that giving you the time is quite important. And Unfortunately, at the moment, I think it's not easy to get into sort of clinical informatics and be an clinician at the moment. Uh, I've had some people uh, in the FCI, the Faculty of Clinical Informatics, say, get your uh, training out of the way, your medical training out of the way, keep it under your uh, hat that you can do coding. But later, once you're a consultant, then let people know. It's just not, the NHS is not just quite yet ready to maybe not accept, but actually make it easy for people to do uh, clinical work and clinical informatics, um, which I've luckily fallen into. I feel very lucky. I have a great team I work with who give me the time and space uh, to do this. That's fantastic. Isn't it? So, so yeah, is it, you, you're sort of setting the trend and sort of what it's going to be in the future, I think, isn't it? Because I think that, that sort of synergy between sort of clinical practice, but also then the application and uh, bringing two together but so we sort of probably see i would imagine in the future we're going to see more of likes of, of that portfolio that you're talking about mark as well but no thanks for sharing that yeah i'd love to see that i really and i would love to help people get that opportunity as yeah well. um thank you mark uh so i understand that you have several exciting projects on the way um digitizing lung cancer pathway and the quick spiritum program would you be able to share with us some of your ambitions for the program and how um, and how our listeners can perhaps support and, um, and and find out what you guys are up to. Uh, thank you, Toby, for that question. It's a really good question, actually. And, um, I get quite excited about talking about it. So, so I've mentioned a bit about both already. Uh, so the quick spirit and work is basically robotic process automation, to, which is a process that controls your keyboard and your mouse to move the mouse around, click on things and type on the keyboard like a human would. But automating all and moving things as quickly as possible. So I've I had uh, nine clinicians who helped me do a quality improvement program. I compared manual versus automated um, uh, doing the tasks, uh, for example, looking up bloods, looking up x-rays and so on, and it saved 30% of their time. Um, 
And I could see this kind of solution being rolled out for other departments. At the moment, it's only working in the respiratory department. I could see this rolling out to other departments and other trusts. Um, but in some ways, you could argue that robotic process automation, RPA, is a, 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 a temporary solution to interoperability um, between um, the clinician or other systems between each other. Um, but it has its place right now. I think it's very important to use right now. But uh, in some ways, it's, it's used to just show there's a problem with interoperability. So the good chatting between different clinical systems in a back-end stable process. Um, but I would argue it, for now it's a it's a great solution and it's used around 140, 150 times a day in our department, nine um, clinicians and the second user just looking at using it as well. Um, uh, so there's that work. And I'm happy to talk for hours about that, but I won't bore you with that. Now, the lung cancer stuff, that's that's very exciting work as well. And I started building a solution for that in um, an open source programming language uh, just last, started last month. So I've, I've built something and come up with something that's looking fairly good at the moment, but there's a lot of work to be done with that. So what we're doing with the lung cancer work is building an open source and modular um, uh basically pathway system, so start with lung cancer, but it's going to be any disease potentially could be used, could use this pathway, um, where it's digitizing. So but taking everything from paper and putting it onto one database or a few databases, having all on the computer and automating. So using robotic process automation or using different inter-process communications, IPCs, connecting to different databases with SQL or REST API and all those technical buzzwords we can use. But basically one clinical system talking to another. And the reason we want to do that is because we want to get patients from A, so referral, to be, that's surgery, uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or palliative care, or even discharge, as quickly as possible. And at the moment, the uh, national guidelines is to do that from A to B in 62 days or less. And 15% of patients at the moment, unfortunately, locally in Gloucestershire are going past 62 days. Now, there's um, some recommendations from lung cancer groups that it should be 14 days. So actually, that time frame is shortening. So we need to get from A to B as quickly as possible. Now, there's lots of bottlenecks in this. For example, getting the referral from the GP as quickly as possible, checking up when results are back from different tests and different biopsies, and then clinicians know that they're back, and then asking them what to do next on the pathway and so on. And so there's admin people, cancer coordinators, who are checking this regularly when these results are back, letting the clinician know they're back, and then the clinician has to sit down and check these results and think about what they're going to do next. And let's say we've got our, our computer program to check for these results, and then it sends a message to an app for the clinician's app that says this results back. And what do you want to do next, A, B, or C, B? And you can do this in the middle of a ward round. This, this gives all the information in, you know, technically, we haven't done it yet, but technically it could be in the middle of a ward round, let's, let's say answer B, so it progresses the patient next. That's minutes instead of hours to days. That's just one simple thing. And also within that, we want to improve patient experience. So sending patients uh, messages to their smartphones, if they have smartphones or emails or any other um, communication method, links to um, videos that we've made. For example, welcome to the, sorry for your news, but welcome um, to the lung cancer team. You're going to be meeting this and this people, or you're going to have this scan, PET scan, which is a um, scan looking for active nodes in the body. And we can have a walkthrough through the department to show them what it's going to be about and to take away the, hopefully the nervousness they would have for that. Um, uh, and there's loads of different branches from work from this um, to ha help build this kind of work uh, and hopefully improve patients speed down the pathway, their experience and their outcomes. Brilliant, brilliant. We now have two computer sciences students um, from uh, Gloucester University who are on placement with me to help build the new lung cancer pathway. Um, 
luckily I got uh, the local uh, CCG and also the Southwest Swag Cancer Alliance team to help with the funding for these students. Um, so I want to welcome Nick and Joe to the team and hopefully we can build solutions that other people can um, get involved with and collaborate on. Thank you for that, Mark. And just following on from that, Mark, with you know, the, the helpful update, how can how can our listeners um, you know, get involved in some of that work that you're doing around both those programs for the Lung Cancer Pathway and the Quick Spiriting Program? I'm uh, in any and every possible way. Um, yeah. I'm open to new ideas, uh, definitely. Yeah. I'm learning that as we go, and I think we are, but I'm very much learning as I go. Um, yeah. But I think if you're interested in what we're doing, you know, send me a message, Twitter me, you know, uh, get me, give, give me an email. I'd love to collaborate. I'd love to hear people's um, own solutions. If someone has built something that's similar like this, I'd love to collaborate and work with you to build something that can work for us as well. And that's, you know, works with different trusts that can, you know, build once um, and save many. So we can save money in the NHS by having these sort of solutions built in the NHS that lots of different people can work on, you know, collaborate on, see if there's an error in the code and, you know, several eyes on the code to sort of make sure it's secure and safe for the patient and so on. Um, yeah, just talk. Talk to me. I'm happy to hear from anyone. Uh, so my Twitter, for example, my Twitter um, handle is um, Cotswold Maker. That's to do with my other hobbies, which is woodwork and metalwork in my man cave. <laughs> um, and also some of the work I've done already is on GitHub. So that's Cotswold Maker there as well. So, you know, have a look at that or message me, please do. Great. Thanks for sharing that, Mark. That's really helpful. Mark, when we last spoke as well, you mentioned that, you know, obviously there's, we've seen some great work over the last year and a half with, with, with COVID and we're, we're beginning to sort of, you mentioned as well, starting to see a bit of loss of momentum. Um, so a couple of questions on that. Why do you think that's happening? And, and from a from a data analytical uh, professional workforce, what do you think we can do to help maintain that momentum going forward? That's a difficult question, isn't it? Why do you think we're losing momentum? Well, mm. I guess you could argue that we're going back to our old ways. Um, yep. I'm no specialist in, um, in, in people theory and how people think and so on, but it could be going back to our old ways. But I think COVID forced us to think differently. Yeah. As bad as it was, and as a respiratory clinician, I was right in there on the um, yep. three on three off, off rotor, helping with patients on CPAP. So that's a continuous positive airway pressure devices to help them breathe with their bad inflammation of their airways. I was helping out with that over the winter. I, I've, I've seen how bad it is. I, I, uh, you know, lockdown is bad for everyone, and I've, I've seen how it's affected some people, and, you know, unfortunately, people have passed away from it. And because of that, we had to, had to isolate from each other and we had to work more remotely. And that just forced people to think differently. Let's, how can we use computers, which is a safe way of talking, interacting with people without, you know, passing on this virus? How can we communicate with each other? So, you know, Teams, for example, how we're using now to talk to people. I've never used it until sort of last, this time, well, early March last year. But also, how can we automate things to get people through pathways quicker, which have been um, affected by people working from home or self-isolating or people being unwell and so on. So th th there was that forced into having to make things better. And maybe now we're not being forced so much. Maybe it's easier yeah. to go back to old ways. But I'm no expert in that at all. Now, how how can we can continue the momentum? Um, I that's a really hard one. Mm. So I think people shouting from the rooftops. This is great. What we've done digitally during this pandemic is great. Let's keep on doing it and let's keep this momentum going. I, I think it's. You know, figures, especially high up senior management, saying that this is good. Let's keep on doing it. Let's let's continue what we're doing, and then more some. 
I think that's what really needs to happen. Oh, great advice. Now, sh thanks for sh sharing your insights on that, Mark. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's probably that we, we, we're looking to go back to the old ways, but I think this is the new way and keep that challenge up and, and keep that momentum up and keep that sort of communication and shouting out everything else that we've done. That's really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that with us. Sorry. And finally, Mark, you know, in, in your very, very busy um, uh, role that you have on a day job as such, and how do you sort of, what do you do outside of work to keep your passion for making a positive impact in healthcare? What do you do to relax? So um, <laughs> this is my Finnish side coming out. I love to go for a swim <laughs> in a sauna, um, which unfortunately with the lockdown, I couldn't do at my local gym for quite a while. So I was, I was feeling less finish shall we say but now i've been able to go back to the gym and especially with the kids was great because my three-year-old just started to learn to swim with armbands on two weeks ago so it's great to see her going around the pool um it, that is a relaxing time for me going for a swim and a, and a sauna it really is for me brilliant brilliant mark no it's been really great to, to, to have you on board and i think just just going through your 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 sort of career path and you know saying that you know if if, if your chemistry doesn't necessarily work out and your experiments don't give you the right outcomes there's always a role in in, in clinician in, in medicine and also in informatics so that was really, yeah. really great to hear as well but uh, and also i think you know what, what's come across really clear is that you've got that inquisitive mind and that, that that focus on improvement which is fantastic and seeing where you can do things differently and i, I think that really really comes across and, and i know you've also got a passion which we can probably get you back on and talking about open code and open source and the importance yeah, of that yeah and you know upskilling the staff so you know absolutely fantastic and thanks for sharing with us those two exciting programs on the lung cancer pathway and what we'll make sure we'll do at the end of this podcast is put your um your twitter link your linkedin and an email if that's okay Sorry, yeah. Please, yeah. Yeah. fantastic no and, and i think you know as you mentioned as well let's keep that momentum up the passion that we have today that we're working in a different way let's keep that movement going and keep shouting about all the great work we're doing but no, really really great to have you uh, join the podcast and uh, We'll be looking forward to getting you back on and hearing more about those exciting uh, programs of work that you're doing. Thank you. Definitely, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, and finally, a shout out to NHS PyCon community, which you can find more about on Future NHS or by visiting NHS PyCon. Um, and the PyCon community uh, board exists to promote uh, the use of Python in healthcare by celebrating success and recognised contributions across the community. It also works to reduce barriers to entry by highlighting best practice with regard to IT, uh, software, operations, uh, security and coding in the open. It also works to promote open source publishing of the code in, in repositories such as GitHub under the appropriate licenses and work to break down uh, silos of expertise and improve technical communication and collaboration across health, uh, social care sectors. And most importantly, champion diversity and inclusion and the representation in tech by making code accessible to all members of our community, regardless of background and current level of ability. So you'd be pleased to know there is a PyCon community event, which I encourage everybody to attend if they can have. It's on the 16th of November from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, I have a session uh, regarding uh, leading innovation in search of bounty, and we've got uh, joined by Dr. Mark Bailey, who you just heard from, uh, and a Python pirate, leading uh, in the front line. So really interesting two sessions there and we'd be great to get your questions and Q&A. So I encourage everybody to join if they can. Thank you.